The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free. This is Coach Mo from PickleballCoach.com. And here's the host of the Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Thank you, Coach Mo, and welcome to the show dedicated to helping you play better pickleball while having even more fun and meeting new friends who share your passion for this great sport. My name is Chris Allen, and I have been looking forward to talking to this gentleman since we started the podcast at the beginning of the year. He is a popular instructor down in the Villages, Florida. And he also has written what I think to be the best free resource of pickleball tips that you can ever find. It's at pickleballstars.blogspot.com. No need to remember that. We're going to link to it in the show notes and you can click right over there and read all of his great tips. It is Mr. Jeff Shank. Jeff, welcome to the Pickleball Show. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. I really do mean that. If somebody were to come to me and say, you know, I I just discovered pickleball. I love it. I want to learn how to play the right way from the beginning. I don't want to learn a bunch of bad habits and then have to unlearn them later on. What should I do? I would tell them two things. I would say, number one, go look at the third shot video that your friends Brian Staub and his son Matt Staub did, along with uh, Rusty at uh, Pickleball Channel. That third shot video, I think, is, is really, really important and, and really a key to understanding the way the game should be played. And then after you watch that video a few times, go over to Jeff Shank's blog, which is pickleballstars.blogspot.com, and we'll link to both of those in the show notes here, and read the 41 weekly pickleball tips that you wrote during 2013 and 2014. I think those tips are the best free resource out there for any pickleball player. What is your history? How did you discover the game? And what led you to, to go ahead and write those 41 tips? Well, Chris, um, I've been playing for 10 years, and I'm very, very fortunate to live where I do because there's so many good players in the villages, a lot of national champions, the Stobbs that you mentioned, Lydia Willis, Jeb Harrison, Coach Mo, so many good players and so many good instructors. We also have quite a few Seattle players come to the villages to play and practice, and I am very much consider myself a student of the game. I am kind of like a compiler. I watch other instructors instruct players that are much better than I am and just take mental notes of what they tell people and kind of compile that. And that's what I use when I teach and when I did the blog. Most of what you read and and 90% of what I teach is not anything that I came up with. It's just copying what the best players have told me. And when I've been around, when they've been teaching others, I just copy them and kind of pass that on. 
Well, you've done a great job with it. You really have. So much so that, uh, to tell you how much of a, of a spaz I am about it, I, I copied and, and pasted all of your blog posts into my own little uh, text document that I could save on my computer just in case, God forbid, you ever decided to take down the blog. <laughs> I would have a copy because I, I never wanted to be without it because uh, I would tell somebody to read your blog and then play for three months and then go back and reread it again because you you're going to discover so many things that you didn't notice the first time. And then three months after that, read it again, and you're going to find out even more things. And it's got to be great to be able to play with those people on a regular basis or just be a fly on the wall and pick up all of the little tips and, and nuances that they're not even, they might not even be teaching other people. They're, they're just kind of working on themselves. One of my favorite things, too, is your YouTube channel. You post great videos up there of just people that are they're they're just playing there's not a tournament or anything like that it could be you know brian staub and matt staub playing rob elliott and uh and you or uh, or somebody like that but you know it goes on for 15 or 20 minutes but i can watch those over and over again too and pick up so many things uh just in the way that they're playing and and kind of the the you know things they're they're telling themselves do this don't do that uh really really informative absolutely and that's one of the things that i tell people when I teach um, my clinics in the villages is go and watch the YouTube videos, um, especially of the USAPA Nationals. I did that for 20 minutes every day for a year. Um, about three years ago is when I did that. And I just found that if I saw players doing something, I kind of, it, it helped me to believe that I could do the same thing. I equated a lot of times to somebody that does, did a backflip on a motorcycle. It took years and years and years and years before the first person was able to do a backflip on a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. But as soon as somebody saw that somebody else had done it, then so many people could do it after that. When you watch great players and see the things that they do, you know, with practice, there really isn't any reason why I can't kind of copy that and pretty much do it myself. The classic example of that is, of course, Roger Bannister running the four-minute mile. Yep, people sure. so you know for so many years thought it couldn't be done. The human body could not do it, and uh, when he did it, one year after that, thirty other people had done it. Yep, it's amazing. Once once you believe that you can do it, the mind will let you do it. And pickleball is such an incredible mind game. There's so much thinking that goes on um, in, in pickleball and the strategies that you use. It's just phenomenal. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I love the game so much. Now, you mentioned watching videos of the Nationals. When I do that sometimes, it appears to me, sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'm watching it, and there'll be a ball that looks like it's, it looks high. I mean, all the guys are at the line, and, and the ball comes up, and I think, up, oh, that's it. It's over. But... It's not over. They just, you know, somebody just, you know, Enrique or somebody just dinks it back over and just keeps the ball in play. And I think sometimes, well, is it the video? Am I not seeing something that uh, that they're seeing? Is it that I think, I remember uh, Justin Rogers mentioned something to me when we were talking about something else. He said, well, you know, to a three five four zero player, every shot looks like a kill shot. And I thought, well, yep. maybe, maybe it's that. Maybe I'm seeing, you know, I think every shot looks like that. Have you noticed that? Do you think that uh, three five four O's, you know, they want to, like, take every every little high ball and try to make something out of it, whereas the five O players are patient and waiting for it, for the right ball? Absolutely. And that's one thing that I teach is that beginner players, all they want to do is get the ball back over the net. 
intermediate players, all they want to do is hit winners. They live and die to hit winners. And advanced players, they want to not make mistakes. They don't want to hit the ball out. They don't want to pop the ball up. And that's why you see advanced players, they'll have a lot more patience. They'll wait for a ball that they really believe that they can, can put away. And the marginal balls that they might hit into the net or their opponents might be able to bring it back just as quick against them, they'll let those go by and just make sure that they don't make a mistake. And that's, that's what I found is the, the key thing with advanced players is they're not willing to make mistakes where intermediate players, they could care less about mistakes. They just want to crank that ball <laughs> and hit every ball as a winner. Yeah. And I think in, in the original post you did, you said they want to hit winners, intermediate players want to hit winners to prove that they deserve to be out there. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I find myself doing that all the time. So yeah, it's, it's good advice. That's one thing that's a little frustrating. Where I play in the villages, it's, it's a rec center. We have about 20 different rec centers in the villages, and each rec center kind of attracts a certain level of play. And where I play is where, you know, Brian Staub plays, Rob Elliott plays, Lydia Willis, Deb Harrison. So you get a lot of really good players there, and all the other players know that. So occasionally you'll get a 3.0 player that'll come there, and exactly what you say. They have the exact opposite attitude that they should have. They may be playing with a 3-5 player against a 4-5 and a 5-0 player, and their thought is, well, I'm the new kid here, I'm the, the weak link, so I've got to prove myself, I've got to hit every ball as a winner, mm-hmm. and that's the exact opposite view that they should take. When I'm lucky enough to play in a match with Brian Staub and Rob Elliott and Phil Bagley, and I'm, I'm the, the fourth person in there, they don't mind playing with me as a partner because they know that all I'm going to do is just keep the ball low and in play and not make a mistake and let who, whichever one of those four that I'm teamed up with, let them hit the winner because it's going to be very, very difficult for me to hit a winner against any one of those three players, but I can be competitive with them because all I try and do is keep the ball low and in play, not pop the ball up, not try and hit a winner. That way it gives my partner time and opportunity to actually do some damage against them. And that's, that's the philosophy that, that the 3-0 should have when they come to play with much better players is not try and prove themselves, but just keep the ball low and in play. Good advice and words that I need to heed uh, a lot more often. So, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> now, one thing you did mention in the blog in one of your posts, you said that uh, you, or you relayed something that Tim Nelson told you. Uh, he said that the only difference between a 4.5 and a 5.0 is thinking, is shot selection. There's no real, you know, physical difference in terms of, you know, skill level or being able to hit the ball uh, harder or anything like that or place the ball better. It's just shot selection. And yep. I've been struggling so much. I guess it's it's sort of a kind of a love-hate relationship with drilling uh, that I have because I know that you, you know, you advocate drilling on at least a weekly basis. And, and I think that yep. that makes good sense. But part of part of my frustration is I'll, I'll, I'll drill and, and do things. And then when I go play, I think, well, great. I just hit the wrong shot really well. <laughs> you know, I, and sometimes I think to myself, well, why even bother drilling until you learn shot selection, until you can make better choices? How do you, how do you learn shot selection? You can't drill shot selection. What do you do to learn those things? That, that's true. I mean, um, I go to a practice session once a week 
My wife goes to practice sessions twice a week, and there's two ways that you can get better in pickleball. You can hit better strokes, or you can implement better strategies. And that's why when I teach, personally, when I teach clinics, I very much emphasize strategies because I think you can get much better quickly by just implementing better strategies. The choices that you make on the court is what makes you a better player. Choices like, you know, am I going to dink that ball? Am I going to take the pace off of it when they hit it hard at me? Am I going to keep the ball low and then play? Am I, you know, when the ball comes down the middle, am I going to stretch way over for it with my backhand? Or am I going to let my partner, who's two steps behind me, take it much easier with their forehand? Those are very, very quick choices that you have to make. My wife is, is a great example. I like to use her because when we do drills, when she stands in the, in the middle of the court in, in no man's land and I hit a ball relatively hard right at her, she's very good at taking the pace off. We call resetting the point. If you watch Brian and Matt Staub, they're, they're perfect examples of that. When you hit the ball hard at them and they're away, especially a couple feet away from the, the non-volley zone line, they're very good at taking the pace off and just dropping it back into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And when she practices that, she can do that very, very well. However, in a game, she never thinks of doing it. And I'm kind of at a loss as to how to tell people to change that. I mean, you need to know how to do it, but you also need to think while you're in the game. You need to be able to think and implement those things um, in the actual game itself. And I'm, I'm kind of at a loss. If anybody out there can, can give me the, the, the facts on that, <laughs> I, I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> I want to get your opinion on some just different elements of the game. And let's just start from the beginning, at the, the beginning of the game, and that would be the serve. And, uh, you know, there, there's two camps, it seems like, especially in the villages. There's the coach mode, just get it in camp. And then there's the Deb Harrison if you've got the ball in your hand, you might as well try to do something offensive with it, uh, that uh-huh. camp as well. Which which one of those do you fall into or lean toward? Okay, well, to me, so much of how you play is based on who your partner is and who you're playing against, okay? So in normal play, when I'm playing against normal human, human beings, <laughs> I generally try and serve hard, deep, their backhand. Mm-hmm. However, if I'm playing against Phil Bagley or, you know, somebody like that, there's no way that no matter what serve I do, I'm going to, to gain any huge advantage by trying anything at all with a player like that. So when I'm playing against Phil Bagley, I just try and hit the ball deep. Because you're That's just going to burn goal. your arm out trying to, you know, yeah. do spins and, and hard stuff and or, it's not going to make any difference. Right, or I'll hit the ball out. I'm going for his backhand, so I'll hit the ball out and completely lose a serve. So there's just there's zero risk-reward benefit in doing something like that. Mm-hmm. If you've got a good serve and you've got good control of your serve and you're able to hit it you know, with decent pace, to, like you said before, the biggest thing on the serve is to get it deep. But if you are able to have good control and good speed, there's nothing wrong with, with you know, trying to put that serve where you want to put it and hope that they either come back with a weak serve or hit the serve out. Yeah, it's not like tennis. We're not talking about trying to serve aces. It's just you want to maybe add a degree of difficulty, whether it is to the backhand and it's got some, got some pace on it. Just something to uh, to add to the degree, not just not just feed it to them and let them do whatever they want with it. Yep, 
And that, that's generally what I do is I try and, you know, when I do the serve, I'm trying to gain an advantage by hitting to the backhand or, or you know, what have you. So mm-hmm. I'm, it's not unusual for me to win one point a game off of my serve by doing it that way. And almost never do I go so far out that I hit the ball out. Now let's say let's uh, flip the uh, flip the ends of the court here, and now you're on the return side. Somebody serves mm-hmm. to you uh, return. Obviously, you want it deep. Do you do you try to you know make any offensive moves there? No, not generally on that. One of the biggest questions that I get is, you know, you know Jeff, the, the people that I play against are all bangers. They're all intermediate players. All they like to do is hit the ball hard. What do I do when I'm playing against those people? Well, one of the things that you can do is um, when you're doing the return of serve and, you know, both of your opponents are now back because they're on the serving team, one of the things that you can do is either one, return it to one of their backhands because generally when they hit the backhand, they're, they can't hit it with as good power or control as they can with their forehand. Mm-hmm. If you're playing against somebody that's got a really good um, smash from the baseline, and you're playing against somebody, and the other player doesn't have quite as a good a smash from the baseline. Um, I would probably return the ball deep to the person that doesn't have quite as good a smash from the baseline, um, especially for intermediate players. Advanced players, when you get up to the to the to the non volley zone, and you've got two players at the baseline, it's going to be hard for them to hit a ball from the baseline hard enough to overpower two advanced players at the at the non-volley zone. Mm-hmm. But if you're an intermediate player, it's, it's a lot easier to, to overpower those people. So that's why I say, first thing is to hit it deep. Make sure you hit it deep, because if you do a weak return, even two advanced players standing at the non-volley zone can be overpowered if your opponent is able to smash that ball from no man's land. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, either to the, to the player's backhand, to the player that doesn't have a, as good a smash from the baseline, but the biggest thing is to get it deep. You've got to make it hit them, hit that long ball from the baseline to you standing at the non-volley zone. So serve and return, number one on both of those is deep. And then after deep. that, yep. if you can do anything after that, that's fine, but not at the expense of deep. Yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult to do anything on a serve return, anything offensively, unless they, they hit a really weak serve to you. You know, a, a serve that's relatively high, it drops halfway into the court, um, then you might be able to crank it and do something with it. But the serve return itself is probably one of the most difficult ones, as long as that serve is deep, to do anything at all offensive with it. Well, yeah, because there is that school of thought, too, the the high loopy serve where you know, it's like, hey, don't don't uh, set it up to where your opponent can just uh, stick his paddle out and use the energy that you gave him to make the return, hit a high loopy serve and let them have to put all the energy into it and all the pace on the ball. If it's deep, right. It's, as long as you can do that high loopy serve deep, that's a good serve, but you got to get it deep. Um, I'll, I'll take that back. Sometimes people that really like to crank it from the baseline, if you hit it low, um, there's, there's one person in particular that I play against that loves to crank um, that serve return really hard and really deep. If you serve that person a really soft, low serve right near the non-volley zone lines, a lot of times they'll come running up and smash it deep or smash it into the net. Mm-hmm. But there's very few people that, that I'm going to serve short to um, but again, Rob Elliott is, is a good example of that. He can use your hard serve and crank it back 
twice as hard. He's using your power on your serve to generate more power for him. He's one player that I will occasionally try and serve short, low ball to him because he likes pace. All right. Good tip, Jeff. I'm just going to jot that down here and put that in my How to Beat Rob Elliott file in case we ever face off against each other in the Nationals. Never can tell. All right. We've covered the serve. We've covered the return. Next up, the all-important third shot. That is coming up next week as we continue our conversation with Jeff Shank. And if you want to read Jeff's 41 pickleball tips at his blog, head over to pickleballstars.blogspot.com. And no need to remember that. We did link to it in the show notes at the bottom of this episode. You can scroll down, click on it, and head right over there. Also, have you picked up your copy of the top 10 tips from Pickleball's three greatest coaches? Coach Mo, Deb Harrison, Prem Carnot, all together in one quick study guide that will definitely take your game to the next level. It's free. Don't need a credit card. All you need is an email address. Head over to freepbxclub.com. And we'll send it right over to you. That's freepbxclub.com. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.